huge to me. I don't know why. This is the year I turned 30, so it's going to be huge for me. Um, I, I want us to uh, take an opportunity to uh, pray for Caleb here. Caleb is, well, he graduated last year uh, from the academy, and he has been working on being a pilot, and he is headed to Wichita Falls. It's one of the, one of the more beautiful spots on the planet that <laughs> the Lord can bless him with. I, I told him there's a, a bicycle run <clears throat> that, um, that I, I've been paying attention to for years, and I plan on riding it a couple times, but uh, it's called the Hotter Than Hell Bicycle Ride. Because it gets over 100 degrees like the entire time you're riding a 100-mile bicycle ride. And I told him, I said, you know why they call it that? Because it's Wichita Falls. That's why they call it that. So have a good time with that. So um, we want to we pray for him. He's um, been part of us here now for five years. Five years have been five. That seems weird. Uh, five years, and we definitely we want to uh, send him off um, as much as we can do that. I want to send him off and just acknowledge the fact that God's got his his hand on his life. And he wants to be a fighter pilot, and so we want to help him in prayer do what God wants, not what he wants. So, um, But but we want him to be a fighter pilot too, right? I mean, anybody here not wanting to be a fighter? Okay, then let's just pray that, and uh, and God will do that. So, Caleb, why don't you stand? You can just stay right there, I guess. And some of you guys, girls, if you want, gather around him. And uh, we're going to pray for him and just ask uh, God to bless him as he goes. To Wichita Falls. So uh, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for Caleb, for his heart, his attitude towards you. Uh, Lord, for his just relationship with you and his, and his desire to serve you. And uh, God, we, we've, we've watched him over these last five years uh, go from a kid out of high school to, to uh, a man. And so, Lord, we ask you to just to bless him and anoint him as a man of God following you. Lord, help him to pursue the desires that you put on his heart and to accomplish those. And, uh, Lord, that he would be an amazing fighter pilot uh, for you. And so, God, we thank you for that. Thank you for bringing him through our life and uh, blessing him with us and us with him. And uh, we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I, just, I just had a revelation. <clears throat> I wish I'd have had this revelation five years ago. But I just had a revelation. My daughter is single, Caleb, and you're leaving. Why didn't we do something about that? All right. Please don't tell her I said that in case you guys don't text her. Some of you immediately start texting people when I say stuff. Don't do that. She will hate me for that. <clears throat> but she is. So <clears throat> Romans chapter 5, we're going to get there in a little bit. So I, I'm going to, so this is going to be, this is going to be very encapsulated. Uh, some of the things we're going to do, I'm going to give you a few little details to some of these things, but you'll see some of these unwrap as as we do every year, we unwrap these as we go uh, forward uh, through just what is God telling us and, and what are we trying to accomplish. And, and uh, some of these things, the board and I have spent um, a few months figuring out, what, okay, what do we do with this? What do we do with, because there's, there's a lot of things, and when we say this is who we are as a church and this sort of direction we're going, there's a lot of details involved with that. It's not just, what has God said, let's do that. Um, first, got to know for sure, is God really putting this on your heart? Um, because there's a lot of other factors. There's, there's people factors, there's financial factors, there's facility factors, all this other kind of stuff. And so you, you have to really say, okay, God, what are, you, what are you specifically guiding and leading us in, in trying to accomplish uh, some things? And so I, I was thinking about this in, in kind of a bigger picture mentality and, and um, asking, I know that I, I ask this question in a lot of different forms in a lot of different ways, but it's, it's really basically the same question that I ask on a regular basis is how do you see God? How do you perceive him? How do you understand him? Um, do you believe that God is actively doing stuff in your life? He's actively engaged in your presence, in, in, um, in, your, in the plan he had. Or here's another way to say it. Does he have a plan for you? We know there are scriptures that say, Jeremiah 23 says, um, that I know the plans I have for you. And I've heard a lot of people discuss that a lot differently, that says, well, he was only talking to the Jewish people. I think you got to be careful with that kind of mentality because if he's only talking to Jewish people, why did he graft us in? Why are we, why, why are we called the family of God also? Um, I believe that we get to be a part of this. I don't believe we supersede, but I believe we get to be a part of this. So if he says, I know the plans that I have for you, is he saying that in, that in a general sense? That's another approach to it. Is that just general? The plans I have for you is like humanity. I want you to know me. Um, I, I, know, I know some very deist mentality theologians that think, 
that God is just speaking very vague generality there, that, that he's not talking about you specifically. He's just talking about the human race. I know the plans I have for the human race, and it's, it's not for destroying you. You know, it's going to be all right, that kind of thing. Or, or, or is there the possibility that when he says, I know the plans that I have for you, that he's talking to you specifically? Even if you believe that it's a general sense of human beings, the, the word plans is a plural word. So that means it's more than one plan. So it's got to be some, some type of specificity there. If he's going to pluralize it to a general uh, populace, then that means somewhere there's more than one plan and I get to have a plan for me. Now, I believe it's very, very specific. I know the plans I have for you, Scott. I believe that. And I believe that for you. And so the question is, what do you think? How do you think? Do you really believe that God is actively doing things? Does he have plans for you? Uh, does, does he, does he want to do stuff in your life? Um, this, is, this is something that I, years ago, I analyzed and tried to process uh, different religions because I really my goal was to disprove Christianity. That really was what it was. It wasn't like I was searching for divine truth. I was just searching that my way of growing up was wrong. It had to have been wrong. Okay, and so it was rebellion. It was all that. But I was just trying to figure this out. So I'm studying all these other religions and different kind of thought process. And, and the conclusion that I came to, uh, um, this was a very, um, this is over a time frame and it's very infantile compared to what I would say now. But I realized that a lot of these other religions, all the other religions that I process, there wasn't a purposeful hope, a direction. There wasn't, you, you were not vital to this thing. You were not important. Um, in Hinduism, you're not important. Buddhism, you're not important. Islam, you are not important. And then, and then it dawned on me in Christianity, the God, the creator, I guess you could say, of Christianity, that's a weird way to say that, but the, the, the divine being that is the one that we attribute to the head of Christianity comes to this earth and dies for you specifically. That's, that's a major shift from every other religious mentality that's going on out there. That Jesus dies for you. He dies for me. The, the God of the thing, not one of the participants. Like in Islam, Muhammad would be a participant. But, but the God of our religion dies for us. So you got to ask yourself, do I believe that? Do I not believe that? What stories are true? What stories are not true? It, it's amazing to me how many Christians that I come across on a regular basis that don't believe the stories in the Bible are real. And, and, and here's one of the arguments that I've heard. Take Noah's Ark. I've heard this as an argument. This, this, is, this is so circular reasoning. This is what I call reverse circular reasoning. But because the story of Noah and the Ark, first people say it's not true. Because God's not real. And then they say, part of the reason we know it's not true is because other religions have the same story. Wouldn't that confirm that it's true? Isn't that a confirmation? If you've got other religions, only thing then is we know the story is true. Now we've got to figure out where the, the origination is. Is it from God or is it from other religion or whatever? But, the, but you can't use other religions have the same story as a, as a reality of disproving one of them. It only confirms it. So the question for you, the question for me, is do you believe that God is the, the, the God over Noah's Ark? Is that story God's story or is it somebody else's story? Is, is uh, David and Goliath, is that a God's story or is that somebody else's story? I've mentioned this maybe a year or two ago, that there was for years and years, decades and decades, in modern, I'm saying in modern archaeological searching, there was not really any legitimate solid evidence archaeologically for King David. So many liberal theologians, I don't like to call them Christians, liberal theologians started saying there maybe it probably wasn't David, that was just a figment, creation. And uh, in the last less than 10 years, we're starting to uncover not just a little, but a lot of archaeological evidence for King David. It's like God says, oh, all right, whatever, here you go. You know he's got to get irritated with us. I'm saying as people, as a human race. He's got to get irritated with us. But what? All right. You want evidence? Here's evidence. You know, I can't wait for one of these days for somebody to open a box and there's like a photograph of Moses in there that they carbon date literally back to 5,000 years ago. And they're like, well, look, it's, it's a photo. We don't know how. And God's going, okay, mm -hmm, deal with that. You know, that kind of thing. So you've got to ask yourself, what do I really believe? How actively involved is God in my life? 
as we're starting this year and we're moving forward in this year, is the Bible true? Is it not true? You've got to establish that in your spirit, deep in your spirit, because it will be challenged. You can look back this last year. There were times when that was challenged in your life. Not, not the veracity of the Bible, but that scripture, whatever that scripture is. Is that a true scripture or is it not a true scripture? I've mentioned this before. Lynn and I, we, we, just, we, we had a, like a big emotional, spiritual breakdown one time, not, not a, between us, but together uh, in, re, in our relationship with God. Because we're reading, this was quite a long time ago, we're reading in Malachi where it says, God's going to open the storehouses of heaven and pour out on you more than you can um, contain. And we were not in a big containing moment, right? So you're questioning, God, is that scripture true or is it not true? And, and we went to God with that, with a little bit of irritation, probably a lot of irritation, saying, God, is this true or it's not? We're serving you. We're tithing. We're doing everything you've told us to do financially. We're doing it. And we're broke so is that scripture true? Well, that's where you have to make a decision. Is God's word true or not? There's going to be other scriptures. You're going to have to deal with it. Is, God, is, God, is God's word true or is God's word not true? You can, only, you can only decide that for yourself. Nobody can decide it for you. So what about this year coming up? Does God have a plan specifically for you? Now I'm going to unfold some of what I believe that we're, as a church, what we're supposed to be doing this year, what we're supposed to be trying to accomplish, um, the direction that we're going to be trying to go with some different things. But, but, but the part of the reason I started off with you is because there is no church at Briargate without you. Right? You understand that. I'm not church at Briargate. We are church at Briargate. So, so if, if, if I'm saying I believe that God has a plan for us, that the board and I have tried to make some strategic decisions to say this is what we're trying to accomplish, then you have to decide, does God have a plan for me, and does it coincide with this? This is one of the things I don't think sometimes we do, is we say, okay, that's what the church is doing, and now this is what God's doing to me. But, but if, if we're the body of Christ, and we're specifically a local church entity, shouldn't those two line up somewhere? Shouldn't what God is doing with you and what God is doing with Church of Briargate line up, at least in the big picture sense, not in maybe the detail mentality? Because if it doesn't, something's not right somewhere, right? One is me, our board, we're totally wrong. One is you're wrong. Another option is maybe you're not supposed to be here. That's not what I'm suggesting, but... But, I mean, you understand what I'm saying. If, if, you're, if you're digging deep in your spirit and you're saying, this is what God is doing with me, and we're saying, this is where we're going, something's not jiving, right? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you at least attest to that? And so to ask yourself, what do I think God is doing with me right now? What is he saying and doing with me? So Romans chapter 5, uh, and I did, I've mentioned this a couple of times over this last year, but I wanted to say this again. This, this last year, 2019, was one of the more interesting, challenging, and some levels difficult, but I've dealt with a lot more difficult over the years, but this one was the most interesting and challenging I've ever seen. Starting at the first of the year last year, almost every single one of our leadership department heads and, and uh, some of our staff all resigned, and some of you are still here. I'm not saying it was negative, um, but, and these were all legitimate. None of them were like, I hate you, maybe somewhere, I don't know, but they, they weren't, it wasn't a negative thing. It's just, that's what happened. I've never seen that before. You always have leadership coming and going. People are doing things, different seasons of life. Because I get that. I've never, I, I don't always like the way it unfolds, but, it's, but I understand that. But this year, it was like every, everything changed. Everything changed. And it was, it was at some point, it was kind of like um, Josh and I were the only ones that were still in the same kind of position that we had been in. And so... Uh, that that was interesting. Just the 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 amount of, of turnover, a lot of a lot of people moving, a lot of different things um, that were happening. So very interesting, very challenging. We had some crazy bumps in the road the last two or three months. Uh, so this has been a, a very interesting year. With that being said, and and I'm not trying to be uh, overly optimistic, although that is my bent when I think about how the church is doing those direction of that. Um, I, I joke about this sometimes, but when 
anywhere I go, when you're with other ministers, they always ask, how's the church doing? I say, church doing great. It doesn't matter. It could be falling apart. It's horrible. I just, it's church doing great. That's what you're supposed to say when you're a pastor. Unless you're one of those, like, it's horrible. Nobody likes to be around that guy. So, so how's the church doing? It's doing great. And then they always ask, is this pastors can't help it. Oh, how big is your church? Man, that sentence drives me crazy. Is that really relevant? So I always just make up a number. Sometimes it's big, sometimes it's small. Depends on who it is. Depends on how well I like them, don't like them, friends or not friends. I was down at, at uh, Texas a few months ago, and somebody said, how big is your church? 4,000 people. You could see there was this pause like, well, it wasn't a year ago. I've seen some growth. Literally, 30 seconds later, I'm still talking to this guy. Another pastor walks, hey, Scott, how you doing? How's your church doing? Good, good. How big is your church? Four people. The other guy's like, because now he doesn't know if I was joking on the first one or did I say thousand when I just meant four? But, you know, you just throw people off, right? I, I really do believe this. I really believe that, that there's been a lot of things, a lot of trends, there's a lot of stuff that God has been doing with us as a church, and it's mostly spiritual, mostly spiritual. It plays out physically, but it's mostly spiritual. But I'm very excited where we are. And I was telling our staff this the other day, I'm excited I'm excited about our direction. I'm excited about what the Holy Spirit has put in my spirit in, in, in a way that eclipses anything that I've spiritually sensed, felt, uh, experienced since I got here seven and a half years ago. I am, I, am, I am very spiritually poised and ready for the next steps. And I think God has done a lot of things to get us to this place. And I'm ready for it. I'm excited for it. And so here we go. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore... Since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Now, that's a, that's a big statement. I, I would ask, do you have peace? Do you have peace in your heart and your spirit? Do you have peace right now? If you don't, let's look at this sentence again. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, how are we made right? By the blood of Jesus Christ. If you don't have peace in your spirit, I would, I would center myself on the reality. God, I need to be made right with you. I'm not even saying in a salvation kind of way, although that is what he's talking about. He is saying that's what salvation is. But I think sometimes you can be saved and not have the reality in your spirit that you are right with God, right with the, 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 the ruler of the universe, and that that should bring peace into your spirit. That I think that sometimes there's a disconnect as Christians, and I think this is a Western culture thing as much as anywhere else, is, is we disconnect from the reality of what Jesus has done for us. And we forget. And we, and we do our life, and we do our Christianity, but, but, but it's not this... I'm centered on God, that He is existence. My existence. I, I the um, um, th this is because we do this a lot. We hang out with the uh, the twenty somethings. We're discussing doing stuff, and there is a mentality. You can see it on memes. You see it online. You see it on um, Reddit. You see it a bunch of places where uh, there is this mentality in the early twenties up to even into late twenties, but specifically early twenties. There is this kind of um, a, a, a consistent idea that it would probably be just as good if you weren't alive. I don't know how to verbalize that right, but eh, life's not that great, and ah, oh, well, whatever. And I hear that all the time. I even hear my kids joke about this, where they're saying, well, you know, life is horrible, and so uh, might as well die, or something like that. I mean, they, they, there's this, it's everywhere, it's everywhere, it's everywhere. And so I'll say things, and my kids say, I'll say, I, th I think life is pretty good. Not everything about life is good, but I'd rather be living than not living. We, we, Josh and I went up the other day and went jeeping up in the mountains and broke my track bar. I had to go back the next day and fix it, but that's irrelevant. So we were up there and just the, the snow and the mountains and driving around, and, and, and I'm just thinking to myself, God, this is just tiny, one tiny little spot on this tiny little planet in the universe, but it's really cool. It's beautiful. It's fun. It's why, why does there seem to be a negativeness sometimes? And it's invaded into the early 20s. It's, it's very strong and prevalent. 
God's given you something amazing. He's given you him. That's, that's more amazing than anything else. So that's where our peace should come from. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. I, I love the way that that says in the New Living. Undeserved privilege. You have a privilege of being in the presence of God, and it is definitely undeserved. He's God. He's, he's the ruler of everything. He's perfectly holy and just and righteous and everything. And he allows you to have a relationship with him, and he allows you to be righteous, but only because of his blood, not because of you, not because of something that you've done or something that you are or whatever. I, I, I pick on this sometimes, but this is, this is biblical. The way I see it isn't biblical, but it's biblical. There's nothing special about humanity. We're, I, I hear people specifically on TV and, and actors and things like that, they say this stuff all the time. Well, there's goodness. There's ultimate, ultimate goodness in human beings. No, there's not. If there's ultimate goodness, why could there possibly ever be a Hitler? There's not ultimate goodness in human beings. The Bible disagrees with that over and over and over. We are broken flawed, messed up people that have a propensity toward sin, have a propensity toward evil, and we gravitate toward whatever Satan lays out there for us. But it's through the blood of Jesus that we can be made right. It's through the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit that we can have something that is special about us, which is God within us, which makes us good. It's not us. It's God within us. And then that then we can be good. We can do good things. And you can see. You say, well, what about um, sinners that do good things? There's still that something about God that they're trying to get to. Every human has it. We're trying to get to God. We know he's there. Even people say, I don't believe in God. Well, okay, but you know he's there. So don't believe in him, but you know he's there. And, and, and we're trying to get there. And that's why these things come out sometimes. Because of our faith, God has, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully now look forward to sharing God's glory. Sharing God's glory from Him to us. But I also believe He's saying share God's glory from us to others. I think He's saying that. Um, I'll move on. So we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. Problems and trials help us develop endurance. Now, don't confuse the fact that, that every problem and trial is not coming from God. Some are coming from Satan, some are coming from God, and some are coming from you. Right? We know that. On the way back out of the mountains with my Jeep, Linda was asking something. She said, you know, we're always fixing this thing, aren't we? I'm like, yes, and it gives me peace. It actually does. I, I'm joking about that, but it is my, that is, that is uh, it's cathartic for me. Not necessarily being busted down in the middle of four foot of snow, but it's, it's, it's cathartic. And so I told her, I said, you know, it's, it's not totally a Jeep problem because she hates the word Jeep. She hates it. And I told her, I said, it's not totally a Jeep issue. Probably 90% of the Jeep issues I have are my fault. And she said, they are. They really are. Well, not every problem and trial that you have is from God, and not everyone is from Satan, but, but some can be from God. Some of the problems and trials you go through are from God. He's doing things in your life to help you, to teach you. Sometimes it gets your attention. Anybody ever heard, been rebellious and you need God to do something? Like most of my life. I, 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 I think to myself sometimes, do other people have as much problem Figuring out some of the things that I'm causing myself, it, it, does other people struggle with that? And then I look around and I realize, you do, probably worse than me. So I, I, some of the problems are from God, some of them are from Satan, and some of them are just because we make bad decisions. Okay? But here's what happens, he says, but they do develop endurance. God can use anything. They develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. I always think about this in the, in the concept of, um, of biking or maybe long-distance running, but I don't run. So I think about this in bicycling. If, if, you, can, if, if you go through the difficulty, trials and tribulations, which is um, 
the difficulty of, of getting yourself in shape, right? It builds endurance. You don't build endurance any way except going through the stuff in anything. You don't build endurance as a long-distance runner unless you run and you have issues and you have problems and your body doesn't respond and then it begins to respond. You develop endurance by going through the stuff and you cannot develop endurance any other way. It is not possible. To have endurance, you got to go through the stuff, the, the difficulties. I was, I was um, online the other day listening to a guy that was a Navy SEAL. He's the, um, he's the guy who started and owned uh, Blackwater which is uh, covert help groups and stuff like that, either way. So um, he was talking about this, and he was talking about when he was a Navy SEAL and all the stuff he went through. He said, that stuff sometimes doesn't even make sense. You're going through all this training, all this stuff. He said, but the moment it makes sense is when you're out in the middle of nowhere and you're on a mission, and all of a sudden you need that. Whatever, knowledge, understanding, physical training, endurance, whatever. All of a sudden it makes sense. And nobody ever in those moments think to themselves, I wish I had trained less. Nobody thinks that. You, but you will think, many times you will think, I wish I would have done some more push-ups. I wish I would have run some more. I wish I would have studied this, this, this uh, area on the map better. I wish I would have done more. You never think, I wish I would have done less. Endurance. And then endurance develop strength of character. The more that you can endure, the more that you know you can handle, there, there's a strength that rises up within you. Years ago, there was this uh, uh, commercial on TV about, um, I think it was Bally Fitness. And um, it was trying to get you to sign up to, to, to work out at Bally Fitness. Okay, so, so it was just two guys sitting on a couch and they didn't look any different. One and one like muscular and the other one, they both basically just looked the same. And I thought it was a very creative way to approach this. One of them sitting there and he, he just kind of uh, just looked. Uh. And the next guy goes in physically the same, exactly the same. You can't tell. But he's like, he said, that's the difference. This guy's working out. And a little lion jumps out of his chest and goes, <laughs> and I was like, I get that. I've talked about this when it comes to mountain biking. There are times when I go mountain biking that I, I am, it is beating me up. But there are times when I know I'm in shape, everything's good, my legs are good, my lungs are good, everything's good, that I attack the mountain. Those are two different, two, two different people. One I'm getting beat up, one I am attacking. That's what endurance does for you. When you build endurance, there's a, there's a strength of character, something inside of you that is now different. And you know, and I believe, obviously, he's talking about spiritual stuff. When you are really pursuing God and you're walking with him and you know and you're getting in the word and you're, and you're, and you're, you're enjoying the presence of God and you're enjoying the reality that God has, has saved you and changed you and all this stuff, it, it develops character. You're stronger. You're strong. You may not look different. Nobody else may understand or know, but you know. And you know what you've gone through and you know where you are. And he says, endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. We would think that our, our hope of salvation would bring all these other things. But it's a, it's a nice big circle that happens. That when we understand Jesus has saved us, we understand that, that we are made right with God. When we go through the difficult things, we lean on that reality, and that builds endurance, which builds strength of character, which brings us all the way back around and gives us more confidence in our salvation. We have more confidence in what Jesus has done for us because we started off realizing what Jesus has done for us. And the more you go through the stuff, it will bring you back around. Let me, let me say it this way, and you ask yourself this question. In fact, we'll just do a raise of hands here. How many of you are more confident in your relationship with God right now than you've ever been? You know, you know things about him. You understand stuff. You know what you have gone through. And, and, and I, I, this is one of the things that I talk to when we, when we bring a pastor on staff. Josh and Liz have been with us now for uh, six and a half years. Krista has been with us six months. There's, there's something about that, right? Uh, most of you, and I'm, I'm not trying to you know, separate whatever, but 
Most of you have no idea what ministry will ever be. You just don't. I'm not, I don't mean that pejoratively, but you just don't know. It is a completely different world. Here's something to do just for fun. Uh, just, just Google this and go to five different websites that say they have a, a statistic about this. The most difficult, challenging job, jobs in America. Look up the top ten. Pastoring will be on every single one of them around four or five. Most difficult jobs. Eighty percent of all pastors that start ministry do not finish in ministry. Now, why am I saying that? Because I will, I will have discussions with our young pastors. This is my 30th year of ministry. I'll have discussions when they're coming on. And we, in fact, we do this almost every Monday morning. I'll throw some things out there about what ministry is and how you do this. And, and when we go through difficult things, it's their teaching moments to say, look, this is what happens. And you, and you have to try to prepare and do all this other stuff. But here's the reality. At the end of the day, you cannot prepare people for this stuff. How do you, how do you prepare people for horrible tragedies? We, we, I was talking with another guy that's a pastor that grew up under Lynn and I's ministry. And we were talking with him and Josh, and we are talking about uh, funerals and different things. I'm doing a funeral next week of a lady that was in our last church for uh, the, the whole time we were there. We've known her for almost 20 years. And uh, died very young with cancer. And we're talking about this, and, and they said, you know, you don't learn this stuff in school. No, you don't. You don't. Oh, you can learn how to do a funeral. You can go online and print off a schedule of a service. But how do you interact with, with people? How do you interact with her, her daughter, the, the lady that I just said that passed away, her daughter is in her, she's around uh, almost 30 years old. She's got Down syndrome. Well, now her husband is trying to figure this out by himself. How, how, do you, how do you do this stuff? It's unique for every single situation. But here's what I know. The more that you allow the trials and tribulations to build your endurance, that strength of character will bring you back around and realize that your only hope is in Jesus Christ. But if you don't start with your only hope is in Jesus, where do you go from there? Where do you go? I, Lynn and I say this all the time. I do not know how people deal with him. Whatever issue that we're dealing with, I don't know how people deal with this without Jesus. I don't know how they deal with that. I don't know how they deal with that. I don't know how they deal with that without Jesus. How do you deal with this without Jesus? We, I was having this conversation with my mother. My, she is not doing well. She, she was supposed to come see us in Thanksgiving. Um, her kidneys are messed up. She's doing at-home dialysis. Now they're saying that uh, she's going to have to go to the hospital and do dialysis. She, she's having all these crazy stuff going in and out of the hospital. She was supposed to come see us last week. She couldn't do it then because she can't physically get here. So she's, she's wanting to move up here. They're kind of, they were supposed to come up a week after next to look at a retirement center here. And, and then uh, she had a stroke a couple days ago, and she, she got, she's blind in one eye now. And Linda said, it, it sounded strange when she said it, but my mother and her laughed about it. It seemed weird. But she said, you're like an old dog that's just breaking down. I'm like, that's my mom. Did you just call my mom an old dog? But she said, she said, yeah, my body's just breaking down. Well, here's the thing. How do you deal with something like that without Jesus? How do you deal with that? The, the doctors are saying a lot of negative things about her right now. How do you deal with that? Brings me back around. My only hope is in Jesus. My only hope is in Jesus, the hope of my salvation. And this hope will not lead us to disappointment. I've been disappointed along the way many times. But at the end of the day, the hope of Jesus doesn't disappoint. I get disappointed because of myself, my, my uh, plans, my desires, my will, my goals. But at the end of the day, his hope doesn't lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And that's huge. Romans 5, verse 9. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. There is such a thing as judgment. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. We're through one of those cycles. It happens about every hundred years, but we're, we're strong in the middle of one of these cycles right now in, in evangelical Christianity. Well, mainline too, but where they're saying, there, is hell really real? Is judgment really real? 
Is, is there really condemnation uh, at the end of this thing? Is there? There really is hell. And you condemn yourself if you don't belong to Jesus Christ. You condemn yourself. And so, I mean, you've got to make that. If you say, well, I just don't believe in hell. All right. Nothing, nothing I'm going to be able to do to change that. I might give you a good argument. But at the end of the day, if you don't believe in hell, it's not because of the argument. It's because inside here. The argument won't change it. Holy Spirit will change it. That's it. If you don't believe in hell, okay. One of us is right. One of us is wrong. You've got to figure that out. He's saying... It's only through the blood of Jesus. It's only through the blood of Jesus. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. I love that sentence. That I get to be a friend of God. I joke about this. I don't like the song. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. I think it's a goofy song. But the, the theology is good. Straight out of this sentence. You, now here's the question. You've got, to, you've got to reconcile this. Do you believe that God wants to be your friend? Do you believe he is your friend? Do you believe this? Here's the next step of that question. Depending on how you decide that will depend on how you decide the answer to the next question. The first question, do you believe that God wants to be your friend, that he is your friend? And the second question is, who does God also want to be friends with? This is the one where you can struggle a little bit. At least I, I struggle a little bit. Who else does God want to be friends with? Because sometimes I make decisions throughout my day that God doesn't want to be that person's friend. It's always based upon one thing, whether I want to be their friend. Like somehow God is going, Scott, should we be their friend? No? Okay, we won't be their friend. <laughs> right? Does, who else does God want to be? Think about the people in your life. Think about the people you don't like. Does God want to be their friend? You know the answer, right? Maybe. <laughs> no, that's not the answer. Yes, the answer is yes. God wants to be their friend. Think about the people you don't like, that you, that you despise. God wants to be their friend too. He wants to be your friend. Now, it doesn't mean that all three of you have to hold hands together, but you can't be at odds with one of God's friends. You just can't be. Then, then one of you is not God's friend. And if you're the one that is at odds with them, it's you. Right? Okay. So, Church at Briargate exists. <clears throat> this, is, this is our mission statement. This is what we exist for. Put it on the screen. To enable, right before that, to enable people under the anointing of the Holy Spirit to supernaturally draw close to Jesus Christ and to bring as, other, as many others along as possible. To simplify it, pursue God, reach people. That's, that's what we're here for. We're supposed to pursue God and help other people pursue God. Whatever that means. If they're already saved, we're just going to help them pursue God. If they don't know Jesus Christ, we're going to help them know Jesus Christ and then pursue God. That's what Church at Briargate exists for. That's what we're going to try to accomplish. That's what we always are trying to accomplish. And we've got some very specific things about how we're going to try to accomplish that this year. Job chapter 4, verse 6 says, Doesn't your reverence for God give you confidence? You know, interestingly, when I was looking at this, do you know the word hope is found the most in the book of Psalms? Kind of makes sense, right? It's a worshiping book. It's, a, it's songs and psalms about God. Hope should be in there many, many times. And it is. The second most common place for, the second most uh, prevalent place for, the, for hope is found in the book of Job. That caught me off guard a little bit because Job is not the same kind of book as the book of Psalms. Right? The book of Job is a man going through tribulation. Some of the worst tribulation you could actually write out. And hope is found more in the book of Job than any other place except Psalms. That, that was just interesting to me. Doesn't your reverence for God give you confidence? Doesn't your life of integrity give you hope? Again, there is only hope 
in Jesus. We need to think this way. We need to live this way. There's only hope in Jesus. Your hope is not in anything else. It's not monetarily. It's not relationally. It's not, there's, there's not hope in anything else. When you get Jesus as the center focus of your life, you can, you can bring hope into those arenas. Part, part of my, to use the term, it's an idiom, but part of my saving grace over the years has been my wife, my relationship with Linda. But she's not, she can't save me. She could get really close, and she's done it sometimes, but she can't save me. Only Jesus Christ can save me. But if I put all my hope in her, it, I, it's false. It's empty. My hope can't be in her. It can only be in Jesus Christ. And you can do you can, the same thought process, money, um, some kind of security of, of uh, work relationship or something, whatever, whatever you find so important. Your only hope really is in Jesus Christ. My confidence in the Lord is where my hope is found. So, so I put this into three uh, basic categories that we're going to look at this year. Okay, The first one, that we will befriend people so that they can be friends with God. And we've got some ways that we're going to try to do this. So, so we're going to befriend. That doesn't always mean being friendly. Okay, You understand that, the difference in that. In fact, um, th- this was very, um, very strong for me this, this last week with the shooting in the church in Texas. The guy that shot the people was um, had come to the church many times looking for help. Did you guys get the story? Did you investigate some of that? He'd come to the church. The pastor knew him. He'd come to the church. But he was upset because the pastor does, would not give him cash money. He would only give him grocery or gas or, or whatever, which is our policy here. We do not give people cash. We do not do it. We will not do it. Under no circumstances will we give somebody money. But we will take them and get them groceries and those kind of things. So, so there's two reactions. Let me, let, me, let me stop just for a second and give you just a little bit of something here, okay? If, if a shooting happens, get down on the ground. Unless you have a gun, then shoot them. Okay? That's really simple how that goes down. Okay? If you have a gun and you don't ever shoot it, get down on the ground. Slide it toward me. I shoot guns regularly. Okay? But if you have a gun and you're basically confident and you're near where they are, shoot them. Bob and I were talking about this this week. He said, I don't know if somebody stands up, do something. He said, my first reaction as a Christian is, well, let's talk about it. And I said, and somebody dies while you do that, shoot them. You see somebody with a gun, shoot them. I mean, in their hands, point. Don't just like somebody on the hip, bam! Now that's not what I'm talking about, all right? <laughs> like I'm going down a horrible road here. Get down on the ground, unless you have a gun, and then shoot them. That's how simple it is. Please get down on the ground. Don't stand up and go, what is going on? Because 14 people are going to shoot you. I'm serious. Get down on the ground. Okay, now, with that being said, we, we try to befriend people, but that doesn't mean that we're necessarily friendly to everybody. Those are two different things. Some people you can't be friendly to because of the circumstances, the situations. We just dealt with a guy a few weeks ago that was, that was very unstable, extremely unstable. We get, we get people in here all the time, constantly. When you're at church, that's what happens. You get people all the time. He was very unstable, and we tried to deal with him deal with it and, and, and handled it okay. But, but you can't be friendly all the time. But we are going to befriend people. Why? Because we want them to be friends with God. Not because we want them to come to church at Briargate. We befriend people because they're humans created by God, and he wants a relationship with them. Not because we are trying to get them to come to our church. I really struggle with that in American Christianity. I believe that is the motivation for most churches in America. You come to my church. That is not biblical. There's not a context for that in Scripture. But befriending them so they know God, and then maybe some of them will come to church at Bargate. And we keep befriending. We keep, we keep helping. But we friend, be friends so that they can be friends with God. Here's some of the ways that we are doing this, and we're going to keep doing this. Um, our life groups. We have life groups. Uh, many of you are involved in life groups. If you would like to start a life group, come talk to us. 
Um, Allison is in charge of our life groups. Just sit down and talk with her. She'll try to help you any way possible to try to get a life group going. Um, we do have a potential for some help in our life groups in another arena. I'll explain in a little bit. But, but you want to start a life group? You say, when? When would I start a life Whenever you want to. Whenever. Want to have a life group here at the church on Sunday mornings? We'll help you. Our space is limited, but we'll help you. We've got plans for that. So you want to start a life group at your house? We'll try to help you. We'll try to help you recruit. We'll try to help you market it. We'll do whatever we can. Allison's got a whole list of ways to accomplish that stuff. We're going to try to help you. Okay? Be involved in a life group or start one. All right. We, we talked about that a lot on Wednesday nights over this last fall. I believe the ultimate reason you should start a life group is so that people can get saved. But there's nothing wrong with starting, to use the example I've already given, start a Jeep life group. Maybe take up an offering for Jeep owners. Regularly. Um, I, last, uh, sometime in the last couple of days, I don't remember when, I posted a picture on one of the Jeep. I'm, I'm part of like 20 different Jeep forums. I posted a picture on one of their. In less than 30 seconds, I had 25 likes. I don't know what these people are doing. But immediately, just bing, 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 bing. I mean, just people liking it. It's just a picture with Josh and I'm out on Jeep, and that's all it was. I think you can probably get somebody to know Jesus through that kind of response. If you think about it, you're intentional, that kind of thing. Life groups. Another is accountability groups. Individual accountability and, and group accountability. This was a major push for us last year. I really felt like we made some, some um, headway in that. In a lot of ways, some of you are involved in accountability that had never been before. But we're going to continue to push that until I'm dead. We're going to continue to push that. Why? Because you need somebody speaking into your life, and you need to be speaking into other people's lives. And I don't mean just in a life group mentality. Get together, have a Bible study, or pray, or go jeeping, or whatever. I'm saying in that, that type of relationship where somebody can look at you and say, you're, you're out of line. You need to change some things. This is not good. This, I, see, I see this taking you a, a bad direction. And I think one of the major reasons that we struggle in getting that is because we don't want that accountability. It's, it can be so difficult. It can be so difficult. And I know this because I have some accountability groups. I have some accountability partners, those kind of things. And 90% of the time, it's good. It's fun. It's exciting. We're all, hey, how are you doing? And then, and then every now and then, one of them will look at me and say, this is not good. Your attitude is wrong. And I shove them and I walk away. <laughs> you need that. I need that. Guys, don't run from this stuff. You need somebody to say to you, that's not okay. And very few of us have relationships that go that deep. It's just reality. And, and I have found over the years, most of our marriages are not healthy enough to do that. That should be the primary one. Your spouse ought to have the ability to look at you and say, you are out of line, and it not cause divorce talk. Well, we don't have that. We need these kind of things. We're going to constantly be pushing that, pushing that. And then outreaches. We've got... More outreaches on the schedule this year than, than before. We've got, um, I'm excited about some of the things that um, Krista is bringing to the table with the children. We've never really done outreach with the children. And I'm excited about this. I'm excited about some of the, the things. That's why we hired her is because we need outreach. We need that. Um, and and it's, it's exciting to see some of the things we're going to be trying to accomplish there. So look for ways for Jesus to be, to, to look for ways to be Jesus to those around us. That's what we're going to try to do. So we're going to try to encourage you to do. We're also going to be, well, that's the next thing, so I'll just go to there. Um, the second thing, we will pursue friendship with God. How are we going to do this? I'm talking about relationship, connecting, uh, intimacy, pursuing God. How are we going to do that? Well, we've got a bunch of things that we've got planned this year. Here's just a few things, okay? One is prayer meetings. You saw the announcement, January 13th, we're going to have a Monday night prayer meeting. Every other month, we're going to have a Monday night prayer meeting here at the church, and uh, that's what we're going to do is pray. We've talked about maybe adding some, um, like the worship, youth worship service that, that happened a few weeks ago. We're talking about adding some of those dynamics to some of these, but, but we don't want to, um, we want to focus on the prayer. I've been to a lot of prayer meetings where the only thing everybody did was sing. 
Or we're going to pray. We're going to pray. It's not going to be all night long and sit in one of those lock-in prayer meetings. I, I couldn't last more than about an hour or two with those. You know, you're over there drooling on the seat, snoring, and everybody else is praying. And they're like, Pastor. No, it's just, <laughs> so, uh, we're, it's going to be like an hour, okay? But like an hour of prayer time. We're just going to, we're going to, we get an agenda, okay? Um, the first one, January 13th, we do have the other dates on the calendar. You can go online and look at, at what those would be. Some special services we've got. They're going to be, they're going to be doing some of the things that we're going to be doing with our, um, our Wednesday night services. We, we've done, we did a couple things this last year. We went over a book and some things. I'm going to, I'm going to focus in on uh, more Holy Spirit studies. We're going to look at a couple books on that. If you ever have a book suggestion, say, Hey, this would be good for us as a church to go through. Um, bring it to me. Just email me or something. I'll go check it out. I'll probably read it either way. Um, but it may not be something we do, but at least give us the chance to process that. Uh, we're going to be doing some of these, and we're going to be working on some of the, the, the concepts of individual um, witnessing, some of that kind of stuff we're going to be looking at. We do have our men's rally is coming up February 7th. Uh, we have Dave Reaver is coming to speak at our men's rally. Um, if you know who Dave Reaver is, don't. Uh, he was wounded in Vietnam. Powerful, one of the more powerful speakers I've ever heard in my life. Just anointed by the Holy Spirit. I don't care who you are, age, gender, whatever, he connects with you and reaches with you. I've had a lot of, um, a lot of uh, pushback from females that say they want to be at this, and uh, no. Okay. This is a men's rally. If you're not a men, you can't be at it. Uh, we are thinking about streaming it online because I am getting some pressure from my wife. Um, for this, so we may stream it, but but so that the the thing here is we're looking for ways to pursue God. That's just what we're doing. We're just looking for ways to pursue. Just get in, just just worship Him and serve Him and and um, pray and spend some time with Him. Okay, and then the third thing is developing our mission. We the next three weeks, I'm going to be talking about missions. I'm going to be talking about um, giving and going and some of those kind of things to missions. We we want to do that more. We the um, the youth go on missions trips. We've done some uh, men's missions trips over the years. Um, our children are going to be doing a missions emphasis time frame. They're not going anywhere, but they're, it's going to be like a missions trip here. Um, we're we're going to be ramping all of that up. We want you to go somewhere. We want you. I was thinking about this this morning. Um, Trisha was was praying for her son Isaac, who's in, who's in Belize, and I've just seen too many teenagers over the years to come back from those trips, and they're not the same. Kids are not the same when they go somewhere else and they minister to somebody. Holy Spirit changes them. They're different. The Holy Spirit grabs onto them in a way that nothing else really does. And so we want to, we want to encourage you. We're going to do some of those kind of things. And giving to missions. I'm going to be talking about that over the next few weeks, so I don't have to do it now. But we want you to financially contribute to, to missions. Building. This is something that we're working on. We want to have this done for you and ready to vote on at our... Um, at our annual business meeting. So right outside that wall is our building plans, all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and we just keep doing this in attendance, up, down, up, down kind of thing. There are so many challenges to this facility at the size that it is. And so rather than try to jump all the way to multi-million uh, dollar stuff, we've got a, an idea of how to do an addition to this building, okay? Add on to this building. So we're looking at hundreds of thousands instead of millions, right? Um, and so we're going to try to develop. This is basically the idea. I'm just going to throw this out. This is, this is, and this is all Dale. If this doesn't work out, you're going to have to ask Dale why he told me this. But uh, this is where we're going with this. We're looking at taking from this wall all the way here, all the way back over this corner and go out about 30 or 40 feet, both stories, something like that. Okay, we don't know exactly, but something like that. It has to do with engineering and all that kind of thing. But that's what we're looking at. It'll add a lot of space. It'll add over 100 seats to the sanctuary. It has a lot of children's, a lot of youth, a lot of spaces. Um, like our a class next service can be in the building at a different time because we can all go back to one service. There's a lot of things that can uh, be beneficial to this. And it's, and it's hundreds of thousands, which potentially we could pretty much jump into almost immediately, I think. I don't, I, we haven't run numbers. I'm, I'm kind of guessing there. But... So that's what we're looking at to try to accomplish some things that we just can't get done. And at some point, we, well, not at some point, we have got to the place 
where much of the stuff within our building is, is not working. Our heaters, air conditioners just don't work. We limp them along. We hire a company to come out every year, and they, we spend thousands of dollars to get them to almost okay. And every year they tell us, this is not going to last more than a year. We know. We'll see you next year. But the other side is we don't have $50,000 to redo it all, to then, to then just have this. And so we're going to do a lot of that stuff in, uh, in connection with that. And then in ministry, we've got to, we're, we're going to constantly, I mean, we're always doing this, Life Groups does this, but we're going to constantly be pushing. We want you to get involved in ministering to people, ministering to people. We've got lots of ways around here. If you just want to do it in the church on Sundays, which is just one small way, actually, I believe it's actually a very small way of ministering. But there's tons of stuff here. We've, we've, we've redeveloped our, our whole leadership base, and we're ready to work on all the, the, uh, the more specific ministry stuff. Um, even things like the uh, coffee shop, we've uh, developed the leadership there. The, the, we could use volunteers there, worship team, volunteers. Uh, security, we're, we're re-looking at some of the security things and going to be promoting that. In fact, we're going to be promoting that next week. There's tons of stuff around here that you can do just on the weekend basis. And that's a small part of what ministry is. How can you minister to people? That's what we want you to do, is minister to people. So here's what I would leave you with, is look for ways to be strategic. Just be strategic. Don't be, don't be casual. Jesus Christ has done a lot for you. Let that build confidence in your spirit that you can do something. And if you ever think... Well, I don't know that much about the Bible. That is, that is Satan messing with you right there. That is Satan manipulating you to keep you from experience God's glory being ministered to other people. Satan does not want you to catch a taste of what it is to see somebody's life changed by your ministry. So he'll keep you down, keep you down. You can't, you're not good enough, you don't know, whatever the case. You don't have time, you don't want to. Be strategic, look for ways to be strategic. Okay, why don't you stand with me? I'm sorry, sit down, don't stand. Forgot where we were going. Sit down. <clears throat> you guys that are going to do communion, go ahead and pass that out. So I thought we would, um, <clears throat> I don't know how to verbalize, maybe consecrate this with communion to say, um, you know, the, the idea behind communion is that um, we remember, Jesus said that. He said, when you do this, do this to remember me. And so we do, we do this small little thing that was Passover, was communion, do this small, tiny little thing. It, but it still works. I, I'm not picking on it. It still works. But we've got the focus is not what we're doing. The focus is who did it for us. When, we're, when we take the juice... We're focusing on the blood of Jesus, not juice. It's not about grape juice. It's about the blood of Jesus. When we take the bread, we're focusing on what Jesus did for us to provide for our healing. And so the, the idea of remembering what Jesus, this is the whole concept of this. Why do we minister to other people? Because we know what Jesus has done for us. And we're looking forward to him coming. That's our hope. Our hope is in Jesus. So if you can be friends with God, we know that God wants to be friends with others also. And so that's the concept. We're going to pursue God and we're going to reach people. And so as we get ready to take communion, we're doing this to, to, to remind us the whole point of this, the whole point of everything is the redemption of Jesus Christ. That's it. It's his blood. It's his blood covering you, his blood covering me, making me right with God. That's the point of all of this. Why, even, even trying to figure out how to expand the building and everything else, we're just trying to do this so that we can accomplish certain things that we cannot accomplish right now. Something simple like more than three people go to the bathroom. That's a major ministry thing. We got to figure it out, right? So we're going to try to do some things this year. We're going to try to accomplish some things. Uh, being accountable to somebody else, it's because you know ultimately that Jesus is holding you accountable through them. Not that they're holding you accountable, but that Jesus is holding you accountable through somebody else. That's one of the reasons when, when my accountability partners pick on me sometimes, I don't get upset at them. Even if at the moment I think they're wrong, 
the end of the day, I trust and assume that the Holy Spirit is trying to hold me accountable, not a person. All right? So we're going to, um, <clears throat> we're going to take this communion together in just a minute. I, I, this, is, this is the starting point for me with communion, always. That we pray, Jesus, forgive us and wash us. Forgive us. That's the point of his blood, to forgive us. Why would we remember, why would we remember his blood if you didn't need forgiveness? Right? So, uh, let, let's just pray. God, we submit ourselves to you. Jesus, you're the king. You're the king and we're not. You're God, we're not. You're the ruler, we're not. You're the redeemer and we need to be redeemed. So Jesus, we ask you to wash us clean and forgive us. Cover us with your blood. Lord, keep us focused on the reality that you died for us. And that we have this amazingly sacred, special privilege of being friends with you. Keep us focused on that. Help us to see past ourselves, past our own world and life, and to see your transcendent plan, the bigger picture, to see your handwork in our life. Jesus, I believe very strongly that when you were hanging on the cross that you had already provided our healing, physical healing, mental healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing. So Lord, help us to see it. You said that by your stripes that you took, we are healed. Your blood forgives us, covers us, makes us right. Your torn body gives us redemption, physical, emotional, uh, spiritual redemption. Lord, help us to see it, grab onto it in faith, and let that faith bring peace into our spirit. We thank you. took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and he said this is my body do this to remember me let's take the bread together thank you Jesus Lord don't ever let me get to the point where I take this casually Your body was broken. Don't let me take that for granted. Lord, I pray for me and every one of us in here. Build our faith to believe for healing. Lord, my mom needs to be healed right now. She needs your supernatural touch. She, doctors can't fix her anymore. They believe in healing. Build our faith build our faith all through this room. People that we need to see healed, build our faith. And then he took a cup of wine. He gave thanks. He said, this is my blood. Jesus, we thank you for your blood. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for being made right with God your sacrifice. Help us to never take it for granted. Lord Jesus, we pray as, as we drink this juice, Lord, we pray that what we're doing physically, that you would cover every one of us with your blood spiritually. Every one of us in this room, we pray that you would cover us with your blood. Just take it together. Lord, I have confident hope in my salvation. I have confidence in my forgiveness, in my blood covering. Lord, I pray that you bring peace into my heart and my mind and every one of us here.
because we have salvation. We're right with you. God, help us as a church to accomplish the things that you've set before us. We want other people to be friends with you. We want other people to know you and pursue you. That's it. We just want that. So help us to do it in, in relationships and, and um, in missions and finances and, and structures. God, help us to accomplish what you pushed us toward. We want people to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I, I don't have a lot of answers right now in the building. That's something Dale and the architect are working on. We'll let you know, okay? Everything else I've got answers for. Everything else in the world. But I don't have all the answers on that. So, so uh, be patient with us about that. But we'll have it for you by March. That's the plan. All right, before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you a chance to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Be the best you can. Tell them how much Jesus loves them and he wants to be friends with them. And God will honor that in your life. Shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad that you are that they are here at 2020. And uh, we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your day.